Hey crew, this is your Captain Caliban speaking. Just a quick note before we get started. I hope you're following us on social media like Twitter and Facebook so you can get news from the world of Trek and updates for what's happening around the show here. And I also hope that you are subscribed to us on iTunes or your local broadcasting platform of choice. It's the best way to get the show so it comes to you as soon as it's ready every week. And this will be the last time that I mention this. That's a lie. I'll probably mention it next week as well. But we are wrapping up our promotion for a giveaway for a Star Trek Trivial Pursuit card set complete with Galileo Shuttlecraft card holder. Ooh. And you can be eligible for that if you go to iTunes or really your broadcasting platform of choice and leave us a review. Leave us a rating and review because we would really appreciate it. And when you leave us a rating or a review, it really helps us uh, with those sites and their particular algorithms. I don't know. Maybe a computer from Star Trek could figure it out. But when we get good ratings, we move up in the ranks, which means that we get to be exposed to more people and our reach is greater. So we get more opportunities to bring great stuff to you so we'd appreciate that we'll announce the winner soon like i said in a previous show if you go to itunes before the end of the month and leave us a review and a rating your name will be entered in a drawing to win that trivial pursuit set it's just a chance to win a fun little prize and for us to thank you guys for your support thanks again and let's get underway it's worked so far but we're not out yet i want to know what you're thinking there are some things you can't hide I wanna know what you're feeling Tell me what's on your mind Hailing Frequencies Open, and welcome to Enterprising Individuals, the Star Trek discussion podcast that boldly goes into excruciating detail about the series, characters, and stories of the Star Trek universe. I'm your host, Caliban, and I'm proud to say that at my last performance review, my commanding officer described me as steady, reliable, uh, punctual, although he did seem like he was reaching a bit on that last one. I'm joined on this episode by Dave Stern. Dave is a former editor of the Pocket Books Star Trek line and has written a number of novels and stories in the Star Trek universe, most notably several Enterprise tie-in novels, the original series novel The Children of Kings, and he wrote the first Star Trek audio adventure, Transformations, featuring Captain Sulu. Dave, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. Permission to come aboard granted. Today we'll be talking about Tapestry, the 15th episode of the sixth season of Star Trek The Next Generation, an episode that revisits literally a pivotal moment in the life of Captain Jean-Luc Picard. And it's an episode that's uh, it's well regarded in fandom. Uh, it often makes lists of the 10 best episodes of Star Trek. But as Q essentially plays God, if you will, in this episode, I myself may end up playing the devil or at least his advocate in that I don't think that this is a very good episode of Star Trek. Interesting. I know. Yeah. I know. So I, I, I had mentioned before we started that uh, it's one that I remembered really fondly. Uh-huh. And I remembered, um, you know, I think the core message of it, which is that the mistakes of our youth help help us become the people that, you know, we eventually turn out to be. And sure. uh, Picard realizes that uh, sort of his, his rashness and his immaturity helped him to become a Starfleet captain. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and, and I had mentioned that I, I hadn't seen it in so long that I went back and watched it. And uh, there are some things about it that um, that still really, really strike home for me. And I think that the core message of the episode is certainly one. And and Patrick Stewart and uh, John Delancey and probably what is 
at least to my recollection, one of the more nuanced portrayals of Q <laughs> that he does. <laughs> that, that, well, that's true. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll get into the specifics of that a little later in the show. But first, your backstory. How did you come to be a Star Trek fan? Uh, I am someone who is old enough to have watched the original series when it was first on. And uh, I was just a kid, but I remember having to fight with my parents to stay up late. It must have been when they were on, <laughs> on Friday nights. And, uh, you know, this is back in the 60s. And, and it was just, it was really, it was so cool. So cool. And then, of course, when, um, when it went into syndication is when I became a real fan. Yeah. The original series. And then I uh, graduated uh, college, moved to New York and ended up getting a job at Bantam Books. And they had the old James Blish books, uh, right. the stories, and um, they were still publishing those. Um, and I, I was working in the uh, publisher's office and it and it ticked me off that um, they were publishing these books, but they weren't using the real Star Trek logo. So I went to somebody and I said, why aren't they using the real Star Trek logo? And people, people said, we don't know. Why aren't we using the real Star Trek logo? So uh, that, you know, that's sort of the first step towards, you know, becoming the, I, I was the editor of Pocket Books for four or five years, I think, in the late 80s, early 90s. Can you talk about writing transformations? Boy, that, this is another thing that, you know, you, you <laughs> I, I, I had to go back and, and rewatch um, uh, Tapestry, uh, or at least some of it, to kind of get my memory fresh for this discussion. And, and very recently, because Transformations is one of the only Star Trek things I've written that I get royalties on, I went back and oh. listened to that. And I, I, I don't think I'd, I'd really... Um, thought about that story in, in years since I wrote it, which was right around 92 or 93, I think maybe, uh -huh. maybe 94. I can't remember for sure. And, um, I, I remember that was, um, it was something that I felt, uh, why not do something like this? You know, this was right around the time of, um, when I, when I was editing the novels, uh, Vonda McIntyre was a writer that I worked with on sure. several occasions to write the novelizations. And she had, um, uh, she was friendly with Gene Roddenberry outside of that context. Or, or she'd met him because she was a, a big Star Trek fan. And she had suggested some backstory for Sulu that uh, I think you know, there's probably 80 million different versions of this story going around. But as I understand it, Vonda suggested a first name for Sulu and a little bit of a, a, a backstory that right. Gene was okay with. And then Vonda worked with that and, worked it into the novels. And, and, and I remember that, uh, George was really, um, you know, that the, the fans were really pleased with that. And so I thought, why not take this character who's around that people are, are really enjoying and, and try and tell another story of when, when he actually was uh, a captain. So, right. so that's what that audiobook was, was set out to do. Yeah, um, I I really like the idea of, of Captain Sulu. I just think that that's a great sort of uh, development, you know, for that character. Seeing him get off the Enterprise and, and do something else with his life <laughs> than just steer the thing. Vonda did so much with that character. Um, in there's an original novel that she wrote called The Entropy Effect, mm -hmm. which is was one of the first. It might have been the first uh, original Star Trek novel, and boy, that was a good book. Um, and, and Sulu played a significant role. And then we did, um, through, in the novelizations that she did for Pocket, uh, a couple of which I worked on with her, she 
and when I say worked on with her, you know, really it was all Vonda. She just uh, <laughs> novelizations are on such a tight schedule that basically as soon as, particularly back then, you know, as soon as they were done, the book was, you know, off to the printers. There was, we had a minimal chance, minimal time to do any sort of editing or suggesting or any of that stuff. And with her, <laughs> you really didn't, you really didn't need any of that. But sure. we also did a, a book called um, Enterprise, The First Adventure, which was kind of our, our take. And, and it was really Vonda's take on, um, you know, the J.J. The, the Abrams reboot kind of trod some of the same territory of the characters in the uh, in their academy years, but again, Sulu had a pretty prominent role, and that was that was all fresh in my mind when I was looking at that because they are, you know, the characters and the actors get minimal screen time, particularly in that original series. They, yeah, you know, it was, it was the big three, and then everybody else, right? So. Yeah, well, that's the beauty of the expanded sort of universe as well. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm, I'm assuming that you're a fan of Tapestry. You, you selected it to discuss today. Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell me, other than the uh, reasons that you already sort of expressed, uh, why you wanted to discuss this one specifically? Why does it stick well, with you? Well, it, it, it does stick with me because I think it's sort of a, a universal uh, theme. And, and one, of the, you know, one of the strengths of Star Trek, one of the strengths of science fiction, is that it kind of lets you take those universal themes and place them in a... Um, or, and illustrate them using non-everyday, some unique uh, situations. So like everybody, all of us have that desire, man, if I could just go back and not do that or <laughs> not do, or do that, you know, if I only had the guts to do this or if I had just not said that. And, you know, Q is essentially saying to Picard, okay, go ahead and, and don't do that, you know, right. see what happens. And, yeah. and what happens is that, you know, he ends up being uh, a stick in the mud. So, so yeah, that's the main reason. And I got to, you know, this is another brief part. Like TV has, every time I watch an episode of the original series, an episode of Next Generation, TV has made such leaps and bounds in terms of the, I think the quality of the storytelling and just the, you know, certainly the special effects and all that stuff. I mean, it looks like, you know, the way that, I, I, maybe it's not quite like this, but it's sometimes it looks like the way silent movies look to us growing up, you know, it's like, <laughs> sure. it's just, it, it's from another time period and storytelling has gotten so much more sophisticated and, yeah. and nuanced. And, um, so, but still having said that, I think there were some really cool, clever, uh, production tricks that they pulled in that, like, uh, the sort of the, when Picard first meets Q in the, in the afterlife, if it really is the afterlife, I guess we don't even ever really get to know, but they just set it in this big white space they have. And then they show sort of little vignettes from the past, Picard's father. And then the other, um, and then this scene in the bar with the young Picard, but they don't show the bar. They just show the young Picard getting stabbed. And so I think that's some clever stuff. And I think unless I, I didn't check this, but I think, that's a Ron Moore episode. Yeah, um, it is. Yeah, it was and, written and, by Ron Moore, yeah. And so obviously, I mean, he's an incredible writer. And and so I think that ultimately, you know, the thing that <laughs> I was watching Devil in the Dark a few years ago, <laughs> an original series episode with my son, you know, and, and of course, the Horda, the monster that comes out that turns out to be just a, a mother protecting its children. Right. You know, that, that special effect, it is like a, a walking carpet, you know, and you, you have to laugh. <laughs> but the writing is so good, you know, the, and, yeah. and 
the performances are are great and um so that stuff that that remains and, and, sure. and that's one of the things that I think carries tapestry through I think um although I didn't uh you know I just glanced through the episode again I I, I thought the actress who played um Picard's young friend I remember uh Benavides something like that yeah. it was a, a B name um she was really good and uh you know, you had that same sort of sense of, you know, what might have been. And so yeah. that, there's some powerful stuff in there. That was uh, yeah. actress J.C. Brandy, I believe. And reportedly she was um, 17 years old when they shot that. Well, there you go. Yeah. Well, let's talk <laughs> let's, let's talk about the specifics of the episode, uh, or excuse me, of the episode, uh, Tapestry. It is the 15th episode of the sixth season. First aired on February 15th of 1993. As you mentioned, it was written by Ronald D. Moore, and it was directed by Les Landau, who directed or directed portions of uh, 34 episodes of Next Generation and also various episodes of the other modern series. And there is no star date given for this episode. It's one of only five episodes of TNG that has no star date, the others being Symbiosis, First Contact, liaisons and sub rosa uh, your mission if you can is to give me a 25 word synopsis of tapestry picard after being apparently killed and sentenced to the afterlife has a chance to relive the mistakes of his misspent youth Ooh, that's good that's a good elevator pitch i like that uh, this episode was written, as we said, by Ronald D. Moore, and I think it was originally planned to have a much broader scope. Uh, supposedly, it was inspired by Patrick Stewart's one-man version of A Christmas Carol. Uh, Ronald Moore entitled his draft A Q Carol, and it was to involve a scene in France during Picard's childhood, also a scene on The Stargazer that would have potentially depicted Jack Crusher's death. But Michael Piller, the writer and the uh, EP on the show, wasn't really on board, and he thought that that would be overkill, so he had more refined the idea. It's still somewhat present, however, in what you mentioned, the image of Picard's father um, and also seeing those kind of flashes in, in the afterlife. Um, I think that Ronald Moore was using kind of parallels of his own life. You talked about getting a chance to, to do things over or even just to sort of realize where you are at the time. And I think that he based it somewhat on his own experiences um, of dropping out of college and he was you know moved to L.A. He was sleeping on his friend's floor and thinking – you know, I'm miserable. What, what did I do with my life? But if he hadn't done that, he wouldn't have been in the position to start getting his scripts, you know, produced and end up you know, working for Star Trek. So he, 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 it's like, like something he wanted to change and he shouldn't have changed it. Like he was exactly where he needed to be. Yeah, I had a, so I was there um, when Next Generation was first starting up. And I remember meeting Ron Moore when, you know, one of the first couple times, he, he, I'm not sure when he came on the show and when I left, but I remember meeting it and I don't remember much about the meeting because it was, I, I was meeting a couple other people as well. Um, uh, including, uh, Jerry Taylor, who, mm. uh, cause I, I did a pitch, I pitched a couple stories to the show that they didn't, you know, that they didn't end up needing, right. wanting, but I remember meeting Ron and he was, you know, I can't believe that I'm here doing this. This is so cool. You know, he was really, <laughs> <laughs> he was really over the moon about that. And, uh, yeah. So, and he, you know, he seemed like such a nice, I mean, he was a, a young guy, you know, yeah. really young guy. Um, something I, I don't know if this is the Ron Moore uh, appreciation society. It could be, um, something I always, I always liked about him is his, um, his sort of transparency and his willingness to communicate with fans. Like mm -hmm. now you can do podcasts or AMAers or whatever on Reddit, but even way back in the nineties, he was doing like chat rooms on AOL talking about his process and kind of letting fans in on the business and stuff like that. And I've always liked that about him. 
Yeah, I think I remember seeing something like that when Battlestar Galactica first started up. He was really available to the fans. There yeah. was something going on. And, and, and that was a great show, too, obviously. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, and I just it, it, it surprises and, and it, it uh, flabbergasts me just as somebody who is a writer, uh, an executive producer, you know, a showrunner. He has so much, so many things to do. He still has time to do that or to tape a podcast. He did a podcast for every episode of, of Battlestar Galactica, like a commentary companion podcast. That's so just, what I was remembering. Yes, I remember. Yeah, yeah that was great. It was great. It's incredible that he could do that. Uh, this episode may have had an additional inspiration. James Mooring was a non-staff writer that pitched a near-death experience episode to the team in season one. And after the episode aired, he wrote a letter to the production staff kind of protesting them using his idea. And Ron Moore and uh, Jerry Taylor um, apologized to him uh, for sort of unintentionally using the idea. And he was paid for the contribution. Nice. I mean, yeah, I, as I just mentioned, I, I had a chance to I talked to Jerry a couple times um when I was still the editor and then after I left when I pitched and mm. well, you couldn't find a nicer person, you know, yeah. to just, uh, just really, really good people. Yeah. Right. Apparently there were a few issues filming the afterlife scenes. Um, you had mentioned the sort of white soundstage before, uh, John Delancey SQ wore a white robe and the lack of contrast made the crew a uh, concern that it wouldn't read and he'd look like a floating head. Uh, the scenes actually come out okay, especially in the remasters that I was watching on Netflix. But Delancey says that he was worried about being too animated in the scene, just being the, you know, this floating head. So it led to his sort of more reserved performances. Ah, coming, there you which, go. <laughs> yeah. And I think it really it really fits the episode and the subject matter. Because like when Q is not screwing around, you know if something is serious. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and uh, that character... Yeah, I never really liked that character, but the, the character, character, character. <laughs> but, <laughs> but except in this episode, because it's not him doing silly things. It's kind of him saying, you know, he, he is kind of, it, it's now that you mentioned the Christmas Carol thing, which I hadn't heard before. I mean, it's, it's so apropos. Um, yeah, it's, it's so right on. And, and so it's just much more, it's much easier to watch, you know? Yeah. It, 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 it is funny. Like you, if you watch, you know, you go back and you watch like old time movies, you know, it's like theater actors trying to figure out how to or they're, they oversell the performance, you know, and, and uh, sure. that 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 nuance, that um, close ups and quick cuts and yeah, the all whole these vocabulary things, of cinema, the yeah. whole vocabulary just changed so much. And that's what, you know, some of that stuff just doesn't age well, you know, the, right. <laughs> and so. All these things, as much as as much as I love, you know, the original Star Trek, and uh, there's there's portions of portions of them that just seem dated. I'm kind of repeating myself here, but you know, so I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing, you know, how Star Trek handles the new sort of television realities with the new show, yeah, know, the, new, the new sort of the way that you can have these intersecting, overlapping, ever evolving plot lines with multiple characters through multiple episodes you know yeah. uh, and i think that's the plan too um i think that this is kind of a tangent but we're free to do that on this show um i think that kind of one of the problems with uh the paramount series is in general um and what may have led to enterprise kind of being truncated is that the production wasn't really evolving with the times and there they weren't mm -hmm. putting on kind of a modern show and so hopefully they've learned that lesson right um, and we'll deliver that with star trek discovery I, i'm you know it looks like they have good you know they have good people yeah they have sure. good people so we'll see. And, the, and, you know, what I've seen of the casting looks really interesting, too. So, yeah. 
Uh, a couple more fun facts about the episode. We were talking about Q. This is one of four Q episodes that don't feature the letter Q in the name. Uh, the others are being, um, of course, Counter at Farpoint, All Good Things, and the Voyager episode Death Wish. The scenery outside of Picard's quarters uh, at Starbase Earhart was a model reused from Logan's Run, and it also had been used in Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, and the TNG episode Final Mission. And as far as reusing props goes, apparently some of the props, like the mugs and glasses in the recreational facility in the episode, were used in the Ten Commandments. So, nice work, Paramount Prop Division. They don't throw anything away. <laughs> right? And this episode marks the first on-screen appearance of the Nausikins, who look like a cross between... I don't know, like a Predator and an 80s metal band. I'm going to say Dokken, right. I think, for this one. There you go. <laughs> and that's, you know, that is a lesson, man. I hope they learn that prosthetic aliens do not age well. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. They're, 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 they're so close to, be able to, to being able to do almost anything they want with CGI. Like, and I'm just saying that because I only just got a chance to see Rogue One, the Star Wars movie. Maybe it's heresy to mention Star Wars on a Star Trek <laughs> We've podcast. done it before. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, they brought back a couple characters um, using CGI. Yeah. And it, and, it, and it almost worked. You know, it, I mean, <laughs> it was... I would agree. I would agree that it almost worked. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so... I don't know. Maybe we'll see uh, Leonard Nimoy yet again. Who knows? Oh boy! Oh, don't even don't even <laughs> joke. They have mentioned already that they're going to do. You know, these, these won't be your daddy's aliens. Like they're probably right. going to reinvent some of the looks of aliens. I just want to see. And I'm another guest on the show has mentioned this before. I can't remember who. I, I'd like to see some of the original races that always get kind of left out, like Talarians and Andorians. You know, some mm-hmm. of those kind of early races. They did do a, a good take. It's one of the things I remember from Enterprise. They did a good take on the Andorians. Uh, yes. In that. Um, it made them really nasty. There was that one recurring character um, that they had whose name I can't remember. Yeah, but, I always forget uh, his name, too. <laughs> <laughs> but he's in there. So, yeah. Well, let's let's get into the nitty-gritty here. The first thing I guess I'm interested in um, with your opinion is uh, what do you think is actually happening in the episode? Like, is does Q actually send Picard back in time, like Quantum Leap, or is this a, a vision, or, you know, or a pocket universe? Because the encounter plays out a bit differently than Picard describes it in Samaritan Snare. Of course, this is event is referenced in Samaritan Snare, and of course, we get a bit of added context on Picard's laugh. But like, what do you what do you think is happening in the episode? That's a good question. Um, I. I have to think that it's it's some sort of el- elaborate. Uh, it, I don't think it's really the afterlife. I don't, you know. I, I think it's it's something that Q is doing uh, within Picard's mind. It's some sort of illusion. But then that sort of causes you to think that perhaps this is um, this is Q trying to tell Picard. You know, you don't really want to change the way you were because that's certainly yeah. The, the ending message. Um, if there was some sort of thing where, like, Picard... Yeah, because there's no proof. Like, if he was in the past and he went, you know, um, I, I know one thing. I don't think I like fish anymore. And so he comes back to the to the present and he doesn't right. have a fish. He's got a gerbil instead or something like that. Right. There's no real evidence that, uh, that right. anything has really happened. Yeah. And so I, I think he, he's... He, there's, the, there's an ending scene with Riker where I actually... This is... I, I, I kind of watched it with the idea of, oh, maybe, and here's the proof, because I really didn't remember the episode. But instead, he just, instead of offering that, you know, and that, like you said, and, and I used to have fish, but now I have gerbils kind of thing. He, uh, <laughs> he just tells, well, that wasn't, 
the first time that I had right. an encounter with the Nausicans. So I, yeah. I think that um, I, I, I think it is just Q messing with Picard. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, I can accept that. That's not, you mentioned the end of that episode too. That's another thing that I agree that Ron Moore is a great writer, but this is you know this is an early script of his, and I'm not <laughs> yeah. sure it's perfect. And I hate that that uh, going out to the credits on a story. It's like, and then there was the time yeah. that we don't get the story. It's like it's just a trick that I don't really really enjoy. Yeah, and 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 you got to wonder. Um, I, I mean, I hadn't heard you. You were mentioning the early version that Ron wanted to do with the Stargazer and Picard's mm-hmm. childhood. I think they do revisit Picard's child. They do revisit both those things at some point, don't they? Yeah, there's the, the episode, yeah, where they um, do the um, Jack Crusher's death essentially on uh, the Stargazer. Yeah, right. And then of course and, we look at his family in the episode family. I mean, to me, what you're describing sounds like because there really isn't that much to this episode in terms of it. It is a little, uh, you know, repetitious is the only word I can think of. But you know, Picard basically Q says. You know, what would you relive if you could? And Picard says, oh, that thing with the Nausicans. And then so he stops. Picard stops his friend from cheating on the Nausicans. Except right. then Q comes and tells him, hey, your friend is cheating on the Nausicans. So Picard, you know, uh, stops him. And then the Nausicans come and they try get. you know, there's like there's a little repetition there to get the same point. Yeah. Across, whereas, and, that's, and you just mentioned, um, I hadn't th- thought about that before. Like he, Q really does kind of shepherd him through the entire thing. You know, yeah. for all we know, Picard would be like, uh, "Screw Starfleet," and he just walks out the door and just does something else with his life. But Q is constantly kind of bringing him back to sort of the central conflict there. Yeah, and so I, I think that um, the, uh, I, I think that perhaps you know, once the original idea got sidetracked, um. That, that you know, you're kind of looking for stuff to st- – like, to me, it doesn't necessarily go any deeper with each act. Like, there is something – yeah, th- there is that little twist, you know, that, oh, and now they're going to get into a fight and now – you know, but, but it doesn't take it the next step. It's all about the same thing. So I think that is a little bit of a weakness and uh, I think you could have used um, another – actual setting or another actual decision that had to be made by Picard. Um, yeah, sure. Sure. Um, we referenced uh, Christmas Carol before and more stating that that was his inspiration. Um, I think that it also has um, shades of it's a wonderful life in it as well. Mm-hmm. And sure. um, in fact, one of Michael Pillar's objections to the episode is that he said that shows do it's a wonderful life when they're out of ideas, like when they're tired and he didn't feel like they were at that <laughs> point yet in the show. So um, this right. also reads to me a lot like, uh, Peggy Sue got married, the <laughs> Coppola movie. Although I guess right. it's more Patty Stu got maimed, but right. it's just a similar thing where somebody kind of relives or wishes they could relive something. Uh, the part everybody likes the most in this episode, um, which is when we see that laugh from Picard for the second right. time, and it's layered with more significance as he realizes that he's reclaiming his life. It's both the high point and the low point in my mind, and you'll have to forgive my little rant here, but. It's. I just think the episode itself is just so light. I mean, you mentioned before there's no other complications. There's no real B story. We follow Picard at the Starbase. I think his friends are two-dimensional. I think the actors do a okay job with what they're given, but they're just like 
Mm-hmm. One friend wants really wants to cheat at pool, and the other friend uh, he sleeps with, and then she basically just blows him off. So they, they're kind of crappy friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we learned Picard was kind of a hellion when he was young. He has a traumatic experience, and he matures. That's it. I mean, that's what we get for 45 minutes of our time. Yeah. Like, I agree that seeing the laugh uh, and having it be imbued with more meaning is neat, but it seems like the whole show is written backwards from that point. Uh that that very well may be, and I can't really, you know, like I said on my second viewing, I can't really disagree with you because I thought, <laughs> oh man, you know, it, we are it here really... to bury this episode and not <laughs> praise it. <laughs> no, I think it's 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 good for that point, you know, but but that is there should have been a little bit more to it, probably. Yeah. Um, and uh, to repeat myself, it just what you were talking about, you know, there 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 could be nuance, like, and you know, of course, there could be the uh, dilemma of two goods as in city on the edge of forever, you know, where you go back in time and, you know, here's your choice, you know, end right. of the world or the woman you love. Picard's choice was uh, get stabbed or <laughs> go back to the way things were. So yeah, the best ones of those episodes, um, the, or the, you know, and city being the, the best one that I can think of off the yeah. top of my head, you know, do present that choice of, to you know, irreconcilable goods. Yeah, is the phrase that. Uh, Sometimes there's unintended consequences. Let's talk so about the. It, it uh, could have been though, you know. Just, I mean, it could have been like, oh, he discovers that this friend, you know, that was just a friend, could have been the love of his life, you know, and something oh, like that. They could have yeah, done. That's true. They, they could have gone there, or they could have done. You know, this guy. You know, this guy died. You know, maybe the friend gets killed when Picard's get stabbed, and so that's. Picard's choice. If he starts the fight, his friend gets killed and he becomes captain. Yeah. But if he doesn't start the fight, then his friend lives and he becomes a, you know, yeah. who knows where I, you go from there. But. Well, that's true. And I'm sure that other uh, extended universe novels have uh, explored that. Let's talk about the character of Picard, uh, something that unbelievably I don't think has really come up on the show yet. So you get to blaze that particular trail. Uh, this episode is interesting when considered through the lens of A Christmas Carol, but unlike Carol, they basically kind of scrooge Picard in the episode. So he has to kind of unscrooge himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know what I mean? Like when he goes and he, he suddenly he becomes Lieutenant Junior Grade Picard, like that's not the life he wants. So instead of changing you know, his life after this night being visited by the, uh, the ghosts, like he becomes something bad, realizes, oh, no, no, I, I liked what I was in, in the first place. What do you think about young Picard being kind of a troublemaker? Well, I think that makes sense particularly you know when when he's asking uh Riker and Troy to evaluate him you know you don't stand out you don't take any chances you know and I think part of that is the squeaky wheel getting the grease you know you have to you have to do something out of the ordinary if you want to stand out and also if you want to make a change you know yeah um <laughs> Boy, I almost I almost brought politics into it, but I, I decided <laughs> not to. <laughs> oh, that's not what this show is about. <laughs> uh, right? Yeah, I think it's supposed to kind of stand in contrast as well to a character like Kirk, who's apparently kind of a bookworm and a Boy Scout when he was younger, and he developed into a swashbuckler once he hit space. Is that it's so? Is that true? I, I mean, think so. Yeah, because every, we all have this picture of of uh, Kirk as this two fisted sort of red blooded American spaceman. Um, but whenever he talks about his life, uh, his earlier life, you know, his father was important to him and he was always 
um, getting good grades, you know, and he was kind of by the book at the academy. Of course, they add, they layer in things like he cheated on the, you know, Kobayashi Maru test. And then, of course, the new J.J. Abrams movies right. go way out there and he's taking alien chicks two at a time and, and whatever it is. But... Riding the motorcycle. Yeah, 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 right, that's, yeah what, exactly. that's what came to mind. Yeah. You know, to be honest, I don't really remember much about the 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 Kirk backstory, but interesting that 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 they did that they did flip it if what you're saying is 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 the way it was. Yeah. And of course, we have to talk about uh, Lieutenant Junior Gade uh, Picard, the guy in the blue shirt. There's a cut scene in the shooting script where he interacts with Jordy, who's his boss, and Jordy treats him fairly similar to how he treats Lieutenant Barkley when you see him on the show. Interesting, which is, which is kind of yeah, that's kind of a stark sort of uh, <laughs> dichotomy there. Um, you know, I know that this is a construct of the show. It may even be a literal construct uh, by Q, as you mentioned. But I kind of reject the, the dichotomy that 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 arises based on this decision to fight the Nausikans, because it, it kind of says like you do something brash and you can be captain of the flagship, or if you do something sensible, you end up as Barkley. And I'm not sure that I really like buy that sort of thing. People are doing sensible things on Star Trek all the time. Right. And, you know, this is a I don't know if I, it would be one gripe, but um, I, I, I think that, you know, Starfleet as an as an organization with ranks and officers of different abilities and, and uh, you know, it always it always seems to me maybe it's just that I'm getting older <laughs> that, <laughs> that it's a bunch of kids in charge of stuff, you know. OK. Sure. <laughs> and, and so I think that, you know, the exception being, you know, in next generation. For sure, Picard is the older, you know, seasoned guy who's seen it all. And yeah. so, um, you know, and, and I guess it's not just Star Trek that, that, I, that I would say that, but, but maybe in some, some other shows. But, but I, I think you raise, you raise a valid point because uh, certainly in the, context of the, in the context of somebody's life, the rashness, if you will, to fight another race is not really indicative of that same sort of, Hey, let's take a chance and do this. You know, it's yeah. a different, you're talking about recklessness and then maybe you're talking about daring as opposed to, you know, why don't we, you know, it took Nixon to talk to the Russian, to the Chinese. I'm sorry. <laughs> right, yeah, you know, sure. so as, as opposed to, you know, it took Nixon to beat up a Chinese delivery guy. I don't know. You know it's, like, it's, a, it's a different thing. Sure. It's a different thing. So I think it's it's a valid point you're making, you know, and I think in the context of the the episode, um, you could maybe have chosen a more meaningful moment in Picard's past. And now, you know, I'm remembering I was talking earlier about Vonda McIntyre's uh, novelizations and, and the original story she did. And I remember when she did that story of the first, um, you know, her first her version of the original meeting of the the crew of Kirk and Spock and McCoy, she had Kirk recovering from this disaster that went wrong where, you know, he was trying to relive it. He was reliving it in his mind and wishing that he had done something different. And that sort of brought him a a level of maturity later on in the story that enabled him to um, successfully complete that, that mission. So it, it, it is exactly what you what you're saying the difference between like a reckless or, or just a an image an act of immaturity maybe you know and, and what they could have maybe played up a little bit more that i'm just thinking of now is the the sort of sticking by your friends aspect of it you know that, yeah i can see that too yeah um I, I guess I just get frustrated at, and again, like we said before, like none of this is not, it was, this is a story that Q is basically 
telling him he's putting him through a scenario like we don't know if any of this would have actually played out this way if he had made a different choice but i just i just i just don't like that you know it's possible that like kirk picard's uh, commanding a starship is like his first best destiny, but I don't like the fact that just because he backs down from a fight that he has to be some kind of menial. Yeah. Um, and because he could have left Starfleet, he could have gone back into archaeology. He could have been a diplomat, which he's clearly skilled at. He could have done a, a lot of things. Right. And they, they could have followed that career path and, and sort of outlined why that choice changed everything. But yeah, that leads me to my sort of crackpot theory for this episode or, or my headcanon, <laughs> which is that, it seems like Q, Q is grooming Picard for something because he's created this little passion play. Um, as we've said, you know, Picard, whether or not he gets into a fight with a guy, is going to make something out of his life. But he shows him that unless he has resolve and he's brash uh, and, and uh, or has uh, he's resolute, um, then, you know, there's going to be trouble. And I think maybe he's kind of prepping him for the big test. Like uh, like we get in all good things, or mm-hmm. at least the, the test that they're sort of under for the entire length of the series, which is the Q continuum is kind of looking at humanity, kind of judging them. Uh, that's a very uh, original series kind of thing, too, having godlike aliens judge us. But right. maybe he's, even though he seems antagonistic, maybe he's kind of giving him the, the, the crib notes or something like that a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. if you make these big choices, things will turn out better for you. And then, of course... The last episode of the show has him working in three different timelines, and everybody's like, "What? What the hell are you talking about?" And he's like, "No, you got to do this, and you got to do this." And that's the kind of Picard that we need for them to pass the big test uh, that the cues are, are going to give them. That's kind of my just crazy theory. Uh, it makes sense. You know, I don't know, I don't know that, that that it's that crazy, but uh... <laughs> well, good. <laughs> I'll stop taking these pills. I, it's been so long since I've seen all good things, which I remember like just being blown away by when it yeah when it... well it's ambitious for sure uh, i heard once uh that renee eshevaria uh, the series writer on the tng was quoted as saying that he's not too fond of the episode because he feels like it promotes violence as a solution and i guess the production did get a few angry letters from fans kind of saying the same thing that we were talking about about how well that's not how starfleet would would solve their problems do you ever worry about uh, about fan mail or fan feedback i mean worry no i mean i think you always listen to uh, but ultimately, you do what feels right, true to the story. What sure. can get accomplished within the deadline as well? <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course, of course. <laughs> because uh, <laughs> it, it is. I mean, I can only imagine. Like you read the stories of of you know uh, how things get done and why choices get made, and you know, right? Practicality looms its ugly head. Oh, definitely. Uh, um. Many, many times. Yeah. Um, I really like how Picard, even when he becomes Lieutenant Picard, like he's still Picard. Like he's respectful. He understands almost immediately that, okay, I'm in a different timeline. I see what's going on here. It's not like he starts shouting at people and punching data. You know, I I, I had that exact same reaction when I watched it. It was like, you know, they could have gone the, wait, but I'm supposed to be the captain. Right, right. But they didn't have time. It's that practicality. Right. (laughs) But, But you saw the wheel spinning in his head. He's like, okay. I'm not going to make a big deal of this. Yeah. Just and the, the first thing he does is he goes and gets a performance review from his boss, which I thought was interesting. <laughs> That's so Picard. Right. He's like, can I get an application for, for a red shirt? <laughs> exactly. Uh, I would like to see this story with another character, perhaps. Um, I think something, something maybe like Riker is tempted to change something in his past, and he doesn't like what he becomes after it's changed, so he learns to accept himself, warts and all. Right. Of course, I guess Peter David kind of already did that story in the novel Imzadi, but like, I think that 
especially when you're teaching a lesson about, no, no, love yourself, love the kind of strong, strident choices you make. That just seems more kind of Rikery to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, of course, anytime we go back in Riker's past, we, we get a little too near to Shades of Grey, so we don't want that. No clip shows. Which one was Shades of Grey? Remind Shades me. of Grey is the one where he gets um, he gets uh, stung by the like a plant or something like that, and so they have to they have to make him remember like his negative memories in order to kill the the toxin of the plant. And so it was their clip show because there was some there was a writer strike or the budget was run out or something like that gotcha. at the end of season two. So it's that one that everybody hates because half the episode is just. Tasha Yar getting thrown across the room by an oil slick and all these oh, other yes. clips from other Oh, episodes. yes. I remember it now. Yeah. I remember it now. I think that is like, yeah. That is about right when I was leaving, I believe, was, was when that. Oh, okay. So, okay. Sure. So I, I was, God, it was cold turkey. <laughs> Star Trek. I know. I can see that. Uh, a fun fact, uh, Edward Jellicoe was originally in the script as the captain of the Enterprise. He, was, of course, was the captain in Chain of Command. Uh, but they changed that name to Thomas Halloway because Q has a statement about how you're not that important, John Luke. It's not going to change that much. And when Jellicoe was on the Enterprise, he changed quite a bit. Like he got Troy out of the cheerleader uniform and all that. And so they wanted to make sure that it did seem like the world had just completely mm-hmm. gone on without, without Picard. That makes sense. Any episode with uh, Q tends to have some pretty good comedy bits. Did you have a favorite joke or comedy bit from the episode? No, you know, because uh, to be... You don't like Q. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. This is the one episode where I kind of, you know, where I, I kind of liked him. Um, and, yeah. And I, I think, you know, the it's it's hilarious that there was a practical reason why he might have been underplaying parts of it. Um, yeah, yeah. Because usually I just like, you know, I, I said like I, that over the top stuff just just kind of puts me in the wrong place <laughs> it kind of does it does for me as well but i think in this little fantasy that he's created he does kind of actually fit a little bit like yeah it's one thing when they're trying to keep a moon from crashing into a planet and he's in a sombrero it's like what but like when picard is seriously looking for guidance or he is worried about his you know, unraveling his entire life and then he turns around and he's like the german doctor he's like oh, oh look yes, at picard right. <laughs> that was funny those work yeah and 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 <laughs> He shows up with the flowers when Picard. Yeah, right. right. So yeah, those are those are like neat touches. I, yeah, I like that they call him Johnny Picard. I think that's funny too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's weird. What are your thoughts on time travel and Trek? I like to ask uh, contributors this when we have time travel uh, on the show. Do you like uh, the sort of uh, Back to the Future thing where you change something and then you disappear from the photograph and maybe there's alternate universes? Or do you like the type of thing where any changes that you can make have already kind of been made, the sort of causality loop type of time travel. Well, they think they're both fun to play with. Um, sure. But of course, everybody, it, it's so difficult to find something original to do with that, yeah. um, with that mechanism. And um, I, I mean, it, it can be, you can, can, it can be really cathartic. You can create some really powerful stuff that lets people, your characters see things in, in different ways. Um, funny or, or, um, I, I'm thinking of, I did a novelization for one of the Tomb Raider movies, which actually, I never even saw the movies. You know I mean? That's how fast you have to, <laughs> it's like, but, uh, was that the one with John Voight or? Yeah, or the not? one with John Voight. Okay, absolutely. sure. So I had to play around with that a little bit. And that was fun because you could kind of, um, jump from a character's past and have different things appear in, in 
in ways that would come to mean stuff later. Yeah. Uh, but it is, it's really, it's hard to come up with something that's new. Um, yeah, that's true. I think something that I've seen a lot of shows using now is um, alternate universes. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, we've talked about Mirror Mirror on the show previously. and But just beyond the idea of, oh, it's the evil universe. But like you said, characters sort of getting information or being informed by um, past or future events. I'm not sure it's replacing time travel, but I think writers are definitely looking, uh, as you said, for like these kind of new things that are not just the same old Marty McFly type thing over and over again. Right. Right. Yeah. I, um, I think that is, that is pretty cool. The whole alternate universe thing. I, I definitely use that in, um, an enterprise novel that I had done, which is actually a two part, uh, two books. Um, mm. and, and, uh, th- that notion of traveling to a familiar place that, um, isn't quite as you remember it and right. trying to, trying to make things right or trying to get back to where you were, I mean, and then yeah. you end up with the whole question of, well, where exactly, you know, <laughs> did, yeah. did I really change things or did I just end up in a whole new place? Right. You know, which is another. Um, and it rains donuts or whatever. <laughs> exactly. That'd be good. <laughs> well, as we uh, wrap up here, uh, do you have any final thoughts or kind of parting shots about the episode? Not really. I, I think I do still I do still have fond memories of it um, precisely because I think that, that it does have the uh, that sort of message of take chances with your life yeah and and that's really um i think that's a powerful message that is universal but yeah again when you when you (laughs) reliving or rethinking our conversation of the of the last little bit i i definitely see weaknesses within it that i hadn't seen um uh, yeah well i didn't i didn't mean to ambush you i just i like old johnny picard as much as the next guy no I, i i like that stuff too but i do i do think you know, and, and as I said, when I reviewed it, um, it feels a little thin in spots. And <laughs> I can't help but wonder, you know, what it might have looked like if... Uh, if they'd got to blow out the whole Christmas Carol thing? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it is a key Picard episode. Um, but I think Picard's defined by how he interacts with others and not by who he does or doesn't punch. Mm-hmm. That's kind of my main thing. Well, let's talk my space dad can beat up your space dad. Who's your favorite <laughs> captain and why? Well, it's it's always William Shatner's Kirk, and and that's just because he's the one that that I grew up, you know, and for sure. you know for um, what was it uh, twenty years, he was the only one. Um, so that's the that's certainly, but but I think also um, I I I I like Picard. Um, I put Picard a, a, a close second because I think that he is. Um, more of a problem solver without resorting to violence. But, but I think that's also sort of indicative of the, um, sort of the evolution of, you know, the understanding of power and the limits of power that kind of, I think everybody has, has come to, um, come to understand, but, you know, plus part of the thrill of, um, of space travel is to imagine yourself as the, the dashing captain heading off to, you know, <laughs> romance and, uh, you know, all these cool things happening to you. And, and so I think Kirk kind of embodies that excitement, you know, there's yeah. a sense of excitement in that series, um, that I think that I don't, I don't necessarily think the next generation has everything is, you know, I, I think actually probably next generation has probably more, um, 
intelligent adventures, more realistic adventures, you know, at least as, as far as any of this could be, you know, really realistic. Um, yeah. but, but, um, but there's something more, um, more boldly going about, uh, about the original <laughs> series than there is about, you know, I, I, I'm going to put that star Wars thing in there too, because like you go back, you go <laughs> back and this is, I, I don't do not mean to compare next generation to the, uh, to the prequels, the star Wars prequels, except oh, to say that they are like, they're focused on details sometimes that, um, that uh that nobody really cares <laughs> i think i think i see your point uh yes so uh, but but it, it's probably a bad comparison but i sometimes <laughs> feel that way and and really what they they need um like what's the best science fiction show happening right now i don't i don't really know what is a good question is it um is it westworld i i have seen some good episodes of that but i could I, be um, could be I, I feel like Westworld is a drama that just kind of happens to be about robots, though. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. You know, Stranger Things had some really cool stuff happening. You know, that had that sense That's of true. adventure, like kids going off and exploring. Yeah, right. Um, and you're, you're like, what's... And so I guess that sense of wonder, you know, even though <laughs> it really was only wonder if you were a kid in the 60s and 70s because by the time you got to the 80s and 90s the special effects just didn't really <laughs> cut it and certainly they don't cut it now but um yeah well hopefully discovery will capture that sense of wonder exactly as well. that's the point i was going to make that 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 they really can get across that you know yeah. there's there's the uh there's sort of the dystopian version of the future that was all the rage for a while and and uh may still be all the rage, you know, and, and, um, yeah. And I think it's significant that, and this happens in the original series films too, but also definitely in the new ones, all the bad guys are admirals. All the bad guys are the authority figures mm-hmm. and that, that dystopia, I think kind of creeps in where there's, a, there's some plot to do this or the guy, the enemy is a former, you know, agent of the Federation or something right, like that. Right. And we're not just fighting like outside forces. Right. Or, or encountering, yeah, so that that sense of you know amazing things being out there, um, I hope I do hope that the new series picks up on that. So. Yeah, me too. Uh, at the end of the show here, you will receive a commission at the rank of ensign. What department <laughs> on the ship do you work in? I definitely work in the library. <laughs> <laughs> so, so is the library then like a uh, like an antique store? Because you know the computer can hold. A billion books. So well, if you have actual physical books, is that yeah, still a job? I, th- I think it is. And it has to be an antique store, right? I mean, only... We always see Picard flipping through a book uh, <laughs> at times. Only in Star Wars would they, you know, store plans uh, for uh, something <laughs> on, a, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a futuristic floppy disk in a towel. In <laughs> You've hit the, the, the trick, the hat trick of mentioning Star Wars, I think. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, it's probably because I just watched that. This weekend, and I, I, oh, okay, I sure, was yeah. shaking my head about you. You've got to be kidding me! They, they keep it on a floppy disk. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Yeah. Uh, and so, Stern, thanks for joining me to talk about Star Trek and the Star Trek universe. If people want to continue the conversation, and they can at at eist pod on Twitter and the Enterprising Individuals Facebook page. Where can people find you online? They can find me on Facebook. Uh, it's probably the best place at Facebook slash da Stern. Facebook.com. I have an author page and um, very easy to communicate with me there.
Great. Well, thanks again for joining me. Thank you, Aaron. My pleasure. We're signing off until the next mission. The hailing frequencies close. So